I have a, a word in my heart for men, and I hope it comes across as passionately as what it's been in my heart as it relates to the power of a man's words. Um, there's some things that your dad probably said to you through the years that you promised you would never repeat. And it bothers you now that you're repeating them because I'm doing the same thing. And so I've considered getting my kids up every morning and just making a list in 60 seconds of everything my dad said or my grandpa said that I said I was never going to say and just say it to them all at once in 60 seconds just to get it over with so they can go on freely about their day. And so let me just pretend that that's this morning some things that dads say and and this is maybe what I'll start practicing with my kids tomorrow and maybe you can too, using your words. So here are 50 statements in 60 seconds that dads say to their children. You'd better change your tune pretty quick or you're out of here. I mean it. Is that understood? Don't shake your head at me. I can't hear your head rattle. Don't mumble. You act like the world owes you a living. You're not going anywhere looking like that. You've got a chip on your shoulder. You're crazy if you think you're going anywhere looking like that. If you think you are, just try me. I don't know what's wrong with you. Other kids don't pull stuff like that. I wasn't like that. What kind of example do you think you are for your brothers and sisters? Stand up straight. Don't slouch. Would, would you like a spanking? If you'd like a spanking, just let me know now. We'll get this over with. <laughs> You're cruising for a bruising. I'm your father, and as long as you live in my house, you'll do as I say. Do you think the rules don't apply to you? I'm here to tell you they do. Are you blind? Watch what you're doing. You walk around like you're in a daze. Something better change and change fast. You're driving your mother to an early grave. This is a, this is a family vacation, and you're going to have fun whether you like it or not. Take some responsibility. Pull your own weight. Don't expect other people to pick up after you. And quit asking me for money. What do you think I am? Made of money? What do you think I have? A tree that grows money? You'd better wake up. And I don't mean maybe. Do you act like this when you're away from us? We've given you everything we possibly could. Food on the table, a roof over your head, things you never had, we never had when we were your age. You treat us like we won't, we don't exist. That's no excuse. If he jumped off a cliff, would you jump too? You're grounded. I'm not going to put up with this for another minute. You're crazy if you think I am. If you think I am, just try me. Don't look at me that way. Look at me when I'm talking to you. And don't make me say this again. If we just do 60 seconds worth of that every morning, we'd get all those statements out and wouldn't have to worry about it the rest of the day. I heard on the radio driving to church this morning that if, you, that if you put a dollar value to what a woman does in the home compared to what a man does in the home, a mother's value in the home financially is three times more than a father's. And while I can understand the rationale of that study, uh, it just goes, it further reinforces the tragic trend in our society. For the last several decades, American culture has slowly but surely weakened the place and the value of men in the workplace, the church, and the home, and the culture as a whole. American men have been emasculated and manhood in this country has lost its mystique. Part of that responsibility lies in the, the men that have given it up. 
Because in days past, we have abused the authority that our culture has given us. We have abused the authority that God has given us. We have abused the authority that women and children have surrendered to us. And the feminist movement and a lot of movements like that were responses to the abuse of the authority in a male-dominated society. But in another way, as the culture has started attacking and eroded the male role or the masculine role in society, a lot of men have just rolled over and played dead and given up and given away away our role and our value and we've been absent or silent or apathetic in our families and our churches and our national agenda and we as a gender need to wake up and not give away what secular society is trying to take from us there's some statistics that prove that a father's place in the family is very important regardless of how they want to put value on it The role of a father is strategically important. Matter of fact, 72.2% of Americans said that the greatest national epidemic and social problem that we face as a nation is the fatherless homes in our country. I mean, most of America realizes the value of a father by simply looking at the impact that, that a culture that has grown up without their father in the home has done with our education system, has done in our social system, what has happened in our churches, what has happened in our nation. An estimated 25 million children, 34%, live absent their biological father. Of students in grades 1 through 12, 40% live in homes absent their biological father. 63% of black children, 35% of Hispanic children, and 30% of white children are living in homes absent their biological father. 33% of teens live away from their father, and that is 10% higher in urban areas. 43% of urban teens live away from their father. Children who grew up post-war, like World War II generation, 80% of them, 8 out of 10, would expect to live their entire lives in the home with both of their biological parents still in the home. But only 50% of the children in today's generation can expect to have both of their biological parents still in the home. The evolution of the view of men in the media is, telling, is a telling sign of the value that society places on men as a whole. If you go back to the 50s and 60s, the men who were in the media sitcoms at the time were honorable men of integrity, and you lose that in the 60s and 70s until you get to today, and the men in our sitcoms are the butt of every joke. The media has played a large role in shaping the culture's opinion of men in general and fathers specifically. The age of television fathers like Jim Anderson and Ozzie Nelson and Ward Cleaver have passed into oblivion. In that day, fathers were portrayed as patriarchal, their wives deferred to them, they were honorable, they were problem solvers, disciplinarians, breadwinners, they were men of integrity. And even in the 1960s, as single-parent homes came on the scene, there were sitcoms that had single-parent fathers raising their children in the home without a wife present. And even in those cases, the father figures in those sitcoms were still honorable, respectable men. There were uh, The Bachelor Father, The Andy Griffith Show, My Three Sons, and all in a way portrayed men who were loving uh, fathers, working fathers, problem-solving, dealing with the kids, but also, for the most part, men of integrity. But then the model fathers of the 50s and 60s were gradually replaced by Archie Bunker and Al Bundy 
and Homer Simpson and began the birth of the buffoon and idiot father who was the butt of every joke in the sitcom and it remains a staple of modern day sitcoms to devalue the masculine role in the home or in the culture especially to make the dad the butt of every joke. Yet in God's order and in God's system, masculine influence was His way of directing His people, of leading His church, and the idea as the cornerstone of the family that He created. Now all of my statements about the value of men have to be taken in context. I just preached on Mother's Day about the role of women. And I understand that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And I understand one of the greatest influences in any organization, the church, the family, or anything, society, is women. I understand that. So don't think what I'm saying today in elevating the role of men is demeaning the role of women. I understand the value of both. But I also know because of a lot of agenda in our culture today, men have been emasculated. We have bought into it. We have lost the mystique of manhood. We have forgotten God's theology, His understanding of biblical manhood. And according to what I read in the Bible, when God gets ready to change history, He places an anointing on a man. When God gets ready to change a family, a nation, a church, there is something that rises in the heart of a man or a group of men that gets dissatisfied with the status quo. And I want some gentlemen in this room, whether they are fathers or not, to begin to understand that, sir, you have influence with God. When you pray, things happen. When you ask, heaven hears that God has promised that He knows that a man's heart is the hope of a nation. If He can reach a man's heart, He can reach a family. Statistics prove that when you reach a man for Christ, 94% of cases, the family will follow that man to church. Only in half the cases when a woman is saved will the family follow her to church but when a man is saved in 94% of the cases the family will follow that man to church why? because a man has influence with God and a man has influence with people and I could spend a lot of time today talking about God's design and theology for man's role in society but I want to limit my conversation to the influence men have with the words that they speak we're in a series called tamed the power of the tongue and I want to look at what men do to influence culture, society, families, churches by the power of the words that they speak. Number one, one of the ways man influences society is when a man speaks to others. Conversation is what this is about. Of all of the greatest problems in marriage, communication or the lack of it is probably the biggest issue is because men and women have different styles of communication. One, women communicate. Two, men don't. That's not absolutely true, but it's just very different. Our communication styles are very different. Matter of fact, they've created a word for the conversation that a woman has with a man. It's a non-versation. That's what it's called a lot of times. Because she does a lot of the talking in the middle of the conversation. But what's funny to me is that ladies will say to me they married the guy. They were attracted to him because he was the strong, silent type. And now she's complaining because he won't talk to her. You know, men, on average, speak about half the number of words a day that a woman does. Just It really is genetically 
we're wired differently. And, and in a traditional home, the problem came because the wife was at home taking care of the house. And I know that's not the case most of the time now, but in a traditional home, the wife was at home taking care of the house and she had kids and she didn't have one valuable adult verbal conversation all day long. Uh, and, and then the dad is at work and he's, he doesn't have very many words to use and he uses them all up at work. And so when he comes home, she's ready to talk and he's already used all of his words up. She wants to talk and she's just rattling on and on and on and all he can do is use the remote to point, grunt, and click. And so she thinks he's a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal that doesn't know how to have a legitimate conversation. But, ladies, we really can talk. We just do it differently. Men talk like we shop. I mean, women talk like they shop. Women can spend a whole lot of time talking about nothing. I mean, just... I mean, I mean, I I mean this, listen. The way women bond is conversation. You can spend time just talking and talking and talking. Men, we want to get to the point. Women, women want to talk about emotion. Women want to talk about all this. And women bond. They'll have a cup of coffee and they'll talk and they'll chatter and they'll bond. Men, men don't want to do that. Men want to get to the point. The way we shop is we have a, a, an, a, we have a thing on our list. We'll go to the store. We'll buy the thing on our list. We'll even go to the hardware store that charges twice what Walmart does because we don't want to walk to the back of the super center to buy the thing that we can get at the front of the store cheaper. We know what we want. Women will go to five different stores when they found the first one at the first place looking for a better deal. And they walk you through that deal. I mean, in the same way, women, you know, that's the, the reason they came up with the title of the book, Women Are, are Like Spaghetti and Men Are Like Waffles. Women can start out talking about something that doesn't matter uh, and then all of a sudden because that noodle reaches down and touches something emotional somewhere in the conversation, it's all connected together. And the guy goes, how did we start talking about the kids' sports? And she starts crying because it's all connected. When I said a moment ago, women spend a lot of time talking about nothing, you all, oh, because I'm looking at the noodle up here and to all of you ladies, it all matters. <laughs> because women are spaghetti, it's all interconnected. Men are like waffles. We're in a box. We only talk about one thing at a time. We can only do one thing at a time. And if you're talking, if we're in this box of the waffle and you're talking about something in that box of the waffle, we don't have a clue. We can only do one box at a time. That's the reason why when we're watching TV and you're talking to us and we're having a conversation with you that's uh-huh and yeah and and you think the whole time we're listening and then we're watching the football game because that's the box we're in and the kids don't get picked up at three o'clock the next day because you thought you told us to and we said we would but we were zoned out we nodded yeah i got you i got you Ladies, let me give you and the kids some things to help you communicate with a man. Be direct. Women communicate feelings and emotions and men communicate fact. To get through to a man, be direct. Number two, say less. Studies show men speak half as much as words on a daily basis as women. They tune out excess information. 
Number three, don't take it personally. A man of few words is a man. If he isn't contributing a lot to the conversation, it's not likely because of you. Men like to get to the point and feel there's no need for further discussion. Number four, say what you mean. Men are not mind readers. They're not particularly intuitive. Don't keep silent and expect him to know what you want because he won't. Number five, let him try to solve your problems. I know that drives you nuts. When a woman has this heart-wrenching issue that she doesn't want a trivial answer to, she just wants you as a sir, she wants you to process that at a deep level. But you start not rattling off your answers and your goals and how you're going to fix her problems because, ladies, let us do that. Because we are goal-oriented, rational, analytical people and we jump to solutions immediately and the advice we give you may be taken with a grain of salt and it may seem trivial, but beneath our trivia is I attempt to genuinely try to help you. So, uh, because we are goal-oriented people. Uh, gentlemen, but let me say this to you. Because one of the ways you influence culture is with your conversation. Just because it is not in your nature to be verbal does not excuse you from having conversations that matter. What you believe to be meaningless things with your wife and your children. Things that don't matter to us, that matter to them, ought to start mattering to us. We have to do things that are not in our nature, and sometimes having trivial conversations about the day, about life, about the kids' day, about their life, being interested in what they're interested in, is a way that matters to them. It's the way that we build relationship with them. It's the way that we get into their world. One of the reasons our kids don't listen to us when we try to discipline them is because we haven't had any conversations prior to that moment about being in their world. And a relationship is prerequisite to a rebuke. A rebuke is only as strong as a relationship and if we'll spend time investing and listening in their world, they'll spend more time listening to ours. And sometimes what matters to them doesn't matter to us. What matters to them isn't easy for us, but we have to value meaningless, what appears to be meaningless conversation because at the bottom of it, it has deep meaning. Silence kills, gentlemen. Those non-versations are having a deeper impact on your family, on your marriage, on the people that you love. If you're not a father or you don't have children, the non-versations are having a deeper impact than you will ever know. Men tell me all the time, I know this because I'm a man. I've tried to use this excuse with Haley. I know that it doesn't work. I think it, but I just don't say it. Well, listen, guys, if she's beautiful, tell her. If, if, if the kids are doing well, tell them. If you can find something to celebrate, say it. Because conversation, uh, non-versations, the silence is killing it. Uh, say it, speak life into your marriage, speak life into the conversation. Because you influence the culture by the words that you speak. Number two, not only when a man speaks to others, but when a man speaks on the behalf of others to God. So if the first one was conversation, this is intercession. When a man speaks on the behalf of others to God. Let me use Hezekiah as an example. Second Kings chapter 18. We're getting a glimpse here in verse number 33. Uh, uh, the Assyrian leader, uh, Rabshakeh, has sent an arrogant lead, uh, a letter to Hezekiah king of Israel. And he said, we we're conquering lands all around you and we're about to conquer you as a nation. Uh, and he sends this arrogant letter to intimidate Hezekiah into surrendering. Here's what the letter says. Has the God of any nation ever delivered 
his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Seravim, Hena, and Iva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save this land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? In other words, the king of Assyria is taunting Hezekiah. Is your God any different than the gods of the nations that we have already defeated? What did King Hezekiah do in the face of arrogant antagonism? If you jump over to 2 Kings 19, verse 14 says exactly what Hezekiah did. Here is a man who understood the influence he had with God and he spoke on the behalf of others to God. On the behalf of his family, on the behalf of his nation, he spoke on their behalf to God. 2 Kings 19, 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over the kingdom of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherim has sent to insult the living God. He took this challenge. He laid it before the God. He, led, he laid the letter out before God and he went into intercession for his nation. He went into intercession for his family. I wish you would read the rest of that prayer and study it to see the grounds on which Hezekiah brought his petition. He said, God, this is for the sake of your name. This is for the sake of your authority. This is for the sake of your glory. Would you defend the nation against the Assyrians? And what happened in answer to Hezekiah's prayer? If you jump down to verse 34, you will see that Hezekiah went to bed after he prayed. And I believe in faith he slept the sleep of the righteous because God promised to defend the city. And that night God went to war and 150,000 Assyrians were, were, were routed by the hand of God. So when, when Hezekiah woke up the next morning, his overmatched army was already on the road to victory because God had done more in prayer through Hezekiah than what could have been accomplished in military might. It shows the influence that man has with God. For the sake of your family, sir, for the sake of our nation, gentlemen, for the sake of our children for the sake of our church we cannot underestimate how heaven stands at attention when one man begins to pray God listens heaven hears he leans his ear down for the sake of your family for the sake of your nation when one man begins to pray gentlemen you have influence with God I became very aware of this Haley and I were um, evangelist, we were traveling, we had gone to this small church in the middle of nowhere, staying in a rundown hotel. Addie was not even born yet. Both of the boys were very small. And uh, um, as we rode in late to the hotel, we checked in, didn't know the area. The boys had been running a high fever. Haley had been taking care of them. We didn't have health insurance at the time. And so uh, we didn't know what our options were. And then all of a sudden, she comes down with the fever in the middle of the night. And uh, the fever was really high. She was lethargic. The kids were sick and crying. And, and uh, she's laying in bed fighting this fever. And, and I didn't know what to do. I, I, I didn't, you know, we probably needed a doctor. And, uh, uh, but I didn't know where one was. An emergency room was. We didn't have the money. And so I grabbed the boys in my arm and, and we're trying to keep them quiet in the hotel. We didn't want to get kicked out. Haley's sick. And, 
and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm crying. I'm, I'm at my wit's end. And I'm just calming. It's, there's a righteous indignation, not at God, but at the situation. And I opened my Bible beside Haley's bed, and I started reading scriptures on healing. I have the boys in my hand, kneeling beside Haley, and I began to pray that God would heal my family. I knew this wasn't the will of God, and I began to declare. I mean, with a kid in each arm, Haley there sick, with the Bible open, I began to pray over them the word of promises in the word about healing, asking God to come in and after a little while of praying after a little while of reading the scripture at my wits end Haley's fever broke and then the boy's fever broke and, and all of a sudden things began to turn and it was in the middle of that night I'll never forget it when God began to speak to me number one about the authority and the power of his word and number two about the influence of a praying man when a man and there's a there's a reference in the state of the scripture to grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar when a man grabs a hold of the horns of the altar for the sake of his family, for the sake of his nation, for the sake of his church, things begin to happen because men have influence with God when they pray. We influence culture with our conversation. We influence culture with our intercession, talking to God on others' behalf. But we have influence in another area when men speak to others on God's behalf. I don't have a long time to deal with this, but it is in reference to the spoken blessing. And I've preached a lot in this pulpit on the power of a spoken blessing at other times. I don't want to rehearse things that I have just even recently stated about the power of the spoken blessing. But I want you to see this two times. First Samuel 6 and in Second Chronicles 16, two times it says, And David went home to bless his family. Immediately after great military exploits, David could not wait to go home and bless his family. Nothing was so important to him at a time when his family needed to see him and he needed to be with them. Their relationship brought mutual encouragement and he found blessing from his family and speaking a blessing to his family was the supreme role as a being a father in his life. Encouragement means to breathe new life into another person's heart, to inspire and to fill the heart with courage and hope. It's high honor to respect them with a verbal blessing. It speaks of God's love, His hope, His truth, His grace, His wisdom into another person's life. Personal affirmation can be verbal or nonverbal, but it is it, it, it ignites the fans uh, and fans the flame of inside of our hearts the dream the the gift the vision. It's what Paul said to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy one six. The fact that Paul acknowledged that Timothy had a gift inside of him that needed to be flamed, that needed to be fanned, was was one of the ways that Paul spoke a verbal blessing of affirmation over young Timothy's life. To speak a blessing is to deposit powerful seeds into the life we have influence over, reminding them of the promises of God for their life. Affirmation allows a person's spirit to be nourished and grow. It reminds them of God's promises and His preferred future for their life. It builds faith and courage. and It, it comes sometimes from God directly, but sometimes it comes from us. Uh, it elevates people to be more than they think they can be. And I'm going to challenge this. Guys, we are not the most verbal people in the world. That has been established because of that. It speaks even greater volumes when at work, 
or when at home, in a marriage, in a relationship, or as young guys that are, that are independent and single. And, 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 but the people we have influence over, when you speak, I know there are young adults in this church that, that are single, that my, my young children look up to. And when those guys acknowledge something in my children's life, whether they're the boys or even Addie, when they speak something positive, at this season of their life, it almost has greater weight than what I say. So even if you're a young man and you're not married, never underestimate the influence you have by speaking positive, affirming words over people's life. There is power when you speak on God's behalf to others and speak blessings over their life. Truly, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And I'm going to challenge you, gentlemen, to speak life over the people you have influence. At work, at home, over your relationships, your spouse and your children speak a blessing. And one of the greatest things in the Scripture is God provides them there for you. You can read the blessing. They are there in the Word in multiple places. And fourthly and finally this morning, one of the ways men communicate, use their words to influence change, is when a man declares the will of God in his heart, that's in his heart, by faith. It's prophetic. One is conversation One is intercession, the other is the blessing, but the other is a prophetic prayer from the heart. Uh, The book of Romans says there comes a time when by faith we speak the things that are not as though they were. And we declare the will of God that's been written in the Word, the will of God He has placed in our heart, we declare them with our mouths. And I don't believe men understand the value of declaring the will of God with their mouth. A prophetic declaration in prayer. Um, there's this image in the Old Testament of the gate, the city gates, and about how influential the city gates were. And I don't have time to go into all of that this morning, but the gates of the city were where commerce happened. Judges met at the gates to do court. I mean, there are instances all through the Scripture of prominent people who met at the gates. The kings would meet at the gates to hold rallies. Political rallies were held at the city gates. When they were ready to go to war, all of the warriors would gather together at the city gates. So justice was done at the gates. The courts, business and economy was handled at the gates. Kings and politics was handled at the gates. I mean, uh, the gates were like little malls because people would shut up shops and vendors would do uh, their business. So this was a hustling, bustling place. The gates were such a vital part of the city in the Scripture when it says the enemy possessed the gates. It meant that once the city was under attack and the enemy had the gates of the city, the gates were synonymous with the heart of the city. When the gates fell, the city fell. The gates were synonymous with the heart of the city. But when you, when you read in the book of Jeremiah and in the book of Lamentations, you see the prophet's heart In Lamentations chapter 5, verse 14, he is giving a description about how the nation of Israel had become a ruined society. And here is one of the descriptions that he gives as a picture of that ruined society. Lamentations 5, 14. The old men have left the city gate. The young men, their music, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. And there's a long discourse in there about the state of Israel as a nation. And I found it very ironic that one of the descriptors of a fallen nation where the old men have left the city gates. 
In other words, men are not playing their role in society. Justice is not being done here. Warriors are not responding to the need of a nation and there's nobody to come do battle here. There's no intercession going on at the gates. There's nobody standing here. This is, this is a place where renewal happens, but nobody's here to lead a spiritual renewal. The old men are not at the city gates. This is a place where the nation was guarded, but nobody's at the city gates to guard the nations. Nobody's here to protect the justice of our society. None of, war, none of the warriors are gathering at the city gates to prepare for battle. But one of the things in Jeremiah about the gate was God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, He said, Go stand at the gate of the people through which the kings of Judah go in and out and at all the gates of Jerusalem and declare. And he he tells Jeremiah to make a prophecy about the Sabbath. And it's a long prophecy about how they were to conduct themselves on the Sabbath. But God tells Jeremiah, go stand in the city gates and make the gates a place of prophetic declaration. It was a lot of things, but one of the things it was was a place of prophetic declaration. Gentlemen, your family has a gate. This church has a gate. The American culture has a gate. What I pray is in the coming days, when some historian is writing about the American culture, they do not pin looking back on 2012 and say the old men have left the gate. They have walked away from the gate of their nation. Young men have walked away from the gate of their families. They have walked away from the gate of their church. They have abandoned those things. I am rallying you as a group of men to understand the influence you have with God, to understand the influence you have with people, to come back to the gate of your home, to come back to the gate of your family, to come back to the gate of this church and realize there is a preferred future. There is the will of God for your life. There is the will of God for your home and begin to declare prophetically what the will of God is. Don't just roll over and play dead. Don't give up. Don't let what current reality is rob your faith. Begin to confess those things in your heart that you know God can do, that you know God desires to do. Just because you have a child running wild right now doesn't mean that you can't stare at their empty bedroom and begin to prophetically declare what you know to be the will of God for that child's life. Just because your marriage is on the rocks doesn't mean you can't go get in some place with God and begin to prophetically declare a picture verbally of what it's going to look like when God restores it. Don't underestimate the power of prophetic declaration when what you're saying is aligned with the heart of God. We need men to return to the gates of their homes, the gates of the city, the gates of the church, and understand the power of declaring and decreeing the will of God from their mouths. Just recently I was in a service with a group of men, hundreds of them, and I I challenged them in a men's event about this one point, and I brought them to the front of the building, and I asked them to begin to pray prophetically the will of God over their family pray a picture of what you know God has for your marriage let it come out of your mouth pray a picture of what you know God has for your children pray a picture of what you know God has for your business pray it in faith prophetically let it come from your heart and men came to the gate and began to do war and battle and prayer and it busted out into an hour-long moment of intercession because men who are not that verbal all of a sudden realize they have influence with God their hearts opened up their mouths opened up and heaven opened opened up and God listened and I believe gentlemen he will listen to you 
as well. I want Pastor Barry, if you will, to come. and I want all of you, if you will, to stand with me this morning all over this place. God, God dropped something in my heart a couple weeks ago about today. And um, I don't know, maybe it's just a, it was a me thing. And if that's the case, that's what I'm, what I'm doing right now is kind of just fishing. Okay. Um, seeing if there's any interest. Was this a God thing or is it a Brian thing? Men are not very verbal. We don't, we don't, we don't get our feelings across. There's a lot of things we feel, ladies, that we just don't know how to say. Because of that, there's this national ministry that was created to help men called Letters from Dad and it was actually just for dads to help men write things down that they need to say but they don't know how to and literally walk them through how to put those feelings on paper. Some of those letters can be given today. Some of those letters can be given later. Like one of the examples in Letters from Dad is a a dad write a letter to his daughter while she's little that will be sealed in a lockbox and that she will open and read on the day of her wedding. Creative ideas of verbal affirmation and blessing. And a lot of those letters are for to be given now. Some of those are apologies. Some of those are letters written for forgiveness or unforgiveness to somebody who is already deceased. There's, but, but the Lord put in my heart to expand that concept beyond fathers to... Letters from a man's heart. And maybe it's just me, but if, there is a, if this kind of hits a chord and there's an interest and there are guys out there that say, Pastor, you know what, I have a lot of feelings that probably need to be spoken. If my words have that much impact and we're in this series on words, I'm not really good at it. But if somebody would help me kind of take what's really going on in my heart and get it out on paper, whether I seal that up and give it to somebody later or whether it's something I'm supposed to present soon, I'd do that. I'd sit down for three to four weeks in a row, one night a week or one morning on a Saturday and for two or three weeks and and try to figure out how to get these things out um, because I understand the value of what I say. And I need to learn how to say it right and say it more often. If that's you guys and and you you want to feel, hey, I'm willing to block out of my schedule and, and take some time and for all of us to take some time. I want to write a letter to my eight-year-old daughter, a letter that she'll seal up in a lockbox and read the day she gets married, and I haven't taken the time to do that, but I would if some of you wanted to get together and let's work on that kind of stuff together. We're going to work on shaping our families with our words and shaping our... And, and sure, there comes a day when we want to say it. We want to look them in the eye and say it. And maybe you're there. And this is an addition to, but maybe it's the beginning place for you to learn how to open up and speak at the gate of your family. Maybe you just need to write a prayer down, a prophetic declaration of God's will for your family. Then we'll get it on paper. We'll work. I write. I'll help you. We'll get some of our pastors and leaders in here and, and we'll work with you. Um, but I just need to see if there's interest. So when we leave, if you're interested, sir, in taking a journey like that for two to four weeks depending on how it works out then let me know and I will look in the next small group semester and trying to find a way to make it happen um, based on the desire if I had time gentlemen I'd have you come up here and
we would just spend a moment and let these ladies hear us prophetically decree the will of God over our homes, our nation, our church. That's what our kids, my, my kids, just there's this level of comfort that comes to them just when they hear my voice at home. That's true of a church. When they hear the, the voice of men pray, there's just a subtle comfort that comes to a whole congregation when they hear the voice of men pray. And so, would you do this as a... I usually pray a, a blessing over you, and I'm going to. But just for a couple minutes. Men, um, would you pray with me? Some of you men, you don't pray out loud, and that's fine. I'm not asking you to do something you don't. And even if it's just a mumble under the sound of your voice, would you pray for your family right now? And it's going to all blend together in a concert of prayer. It's not going to make God nervous. It may make you nervous, but it's not going to make God nervous to hear all of us at one time. And I would love nothing more than for there to be a, a peace in the heart of the ladies and the heart of this congregation. To know there's some men that are not ashamed to whisper a prayer in church on Sunday morning for their families or their church. Would you just, would you pray with me and just mumble it? I mean, just say it. If, you, if you're not afraid to pray out loud, pray out loud. And I, I just want there to be a concert of men's audible prayers in this room today for our families and for our church. Men, would you pray just for a moment? And don't be afraid to pray audibly. Lord for the comforting essence of hearing men pray Lord will you bless them and keep them all of them, will you make your face shine down upon them, will you be gracious to them will you turn your countenance their direction and grant them peace today Lord in Jesus name Amen Happy Father's Day, God bless you